On the gate of a chain-linked fence was a sign that read, do not climb. So the teenagers crawled underneath it. They didn't climb over top it and therefore they obeyed the rule, right? I opened this this way last week. I'm gonna keep it going. (laughs) On the shelf of a grocery store was a tag that said one per customer. So the man took one, but he gave another one to his six-year-old son. So he followed the rule, right? Mm. It posted in the yard of a state building where the words, no walking on the grass. You know where this is going. So the visitor ran across the grass. Uh, She didn't uh, walk across it or walk on it. She followed the rule, right? Look, no, (laughs) I said this last week, but it bears repeating. We sinful human beings have a penchant for undermining the intention of rules and laws, and while we do, we convince ourselves that we're obeying them. Last Sunday, beginning in Matthew 5, 21, Jesus began a segment of his Sermon on the Mount that commentators refer to as the six antitheses. In this segment of the sermon, which runs from verse 21 through verse 48 of chapter five, Jesus, six different times, quotes six different passages from the Mosaic law that his disciples and the crowd of Jews around them knew very well. And his purpose in quoting from the law is to correct the narrow understanding of the law that the scribes and Pharisees were enforcing by explaining the law's broader intention. Remember, the Jews who are listening to this Sermon on the Mount were pretty convinced they were upholding the law, but in fact, they were undermining it. They were climbing over the fence, so to speak. Oh no, rather they were crawling under it instead of climbing over it and they were in the process missing God's good purpose in giving the law. And so last Sunday in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, uh, Jesus quoted from Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. And after quoting this well-known command, he then explained its intended purpose. Its intended purpose wasn't merely to keep the Jews and people from killing one another. It was to reveal and rescue them from the heart of anger which poisons all facets of life. And next week, Lord willing, we'll consider Jesus' explanation about the heart of divorce and then the heart of oaths, and then the heart of revenge, and then the heart of loving one's enemies. But today, we will consider the heart of adultery according to Jesus in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. So, if you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles. And while you do, let me plead with all of us to remember something. This Sermon on the Mount is God's invitation to you and me. It's an invitation to heed Jesus' instruction and to thereby experience the good, godly life according to his design. So, without further ado, I'll read Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, But I say to you 
that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me after hearing these sobering words? Oh, Father, by your spirit, please humble us. Give us ears to hear and minds to, to process and hearts to receive what it is that, Jesus, you are saying in this passage. And, and let us be doers of this passage, not just hearers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's jump right in. If you're a note taker, here are the two ideas from this passage that we'll consider for the remainder of our time. Number one, the essence of an adulterous heart. The essence of an adulterous heart. Number two, the extreme measures we must take to defeat it. The extreme measures we must take to defeat it. Number one the essence of an adulterous heart. In verse 27, Jesus here quotes from Exodus 20, verse 14. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. The point of this command is as plain as it is simple. A married man mustn't engage in sexual relations with anyone other than his wife. And a married woman mustn't engage in sexual relations with anyone other than her husband. Jesus' disciples and the crowd around him were very aware of this command because God's good design for marriage had been crystal clear ever since the beginning. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, for they shall become one flesh. God's good design for marriage is crystal clear and therefore to commit adultery is to tarnish God's design, to usurp God's authority, to pervert the sanctity of his covenantal gift and to degrade another human made in the image of God using them as an object for selfish pleasure. In other words, to commit adultery is high treason against God. And the just penalty for it is spelled out in Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22. Adultery is punishable by death. Now the disciples in the crowd surrounding Jesus on the mount, they were very well, very well aware of all these things. Most of them, and maybe all of them, had refrained in their lives from committing adultery according to the letter of the law. But Jesus isn't finished. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, oh boy, 
everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Can you imagine what the disciples and the crowd likely felt hearing this? I mean, they thought, for the most part, they were observing the law because they'd never acted in adultery, but Jesus here reveals the high treason of adultery is not limited to the act. It includes the appetite, the thought, the desire, the heart, the essence of adultery is lust, an intense sexual craving that may or may not even be acted upon. This needs to discomfort us and convict us. And I'm gonna address you, but I'm in this as well. Every time you look upon a man or a woman and ponder having or using them for self-pleasure, you are committing damnable high treason. You are usurping God's authority. You are perverting his covenantal gift. You are exploiting another human being made in God's image and you are reducing that person down to an object to be used for sexual gratification. And because such rampant, defiant, sickening sin is both scarring to us and scorning of God, it deserves immediate death. That's what it deserves, death. There is no doubt in my mind that Jesus' disciples felt the colossal weight of this. And so should we. That's the essence of an adulterous heart. Number two, the extreme measures we must take to defeat it. In order that lust would not have its deadly way with his disciples and with us, Jesus, hear this, he graciously lays out two preventative measures in verses 29 through 30, and they are intense. In 29, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, that is this, if your good eye, if your sharp eye likes to wander, if your best eye likes to scan the waitress or the members of your gym or your classmates in the hall in order to feed your imagination, even if it's your good eye, tear it out and throw it away. Now, sweet mercy, uh, isn't that intense? Isn't that a little too intense, maybe? No, Jesus says. It's not too intense because of the stakes that are in play here. It's better to throw away a part of your body if it spares your whole body from being thrown into hell. That's, an that's a discomforting word. Jesus mentioned hell in last week's passage and he does so again twice in today's passage. Now remember with me this. The word Jesus uses here for hell is Gehenna. And remember with me that Gehenna 
was the name of a dump yard that was well known among the Jews to be brimming with burning trash and the decomposing corpses of criminals. So for Jesus' disciples and the crowd of Jews beyond them, the very mention of Gehenna would have conjured up a horrifying picture of what hell will actually be like for those who don't think God is serious about sin and lust. The seriousness of hell requires the serious kind of measures that Jesus is laying out, right? A place of fiery death awaits those who refuse to put their sin to death. So we must treat sin with nothing less than extreme intensity. And in verse 30, Jesus doubles down on this. He says, if your right hand, if your dominant hand, the hand that you use for everything, if your right hand likes to wander, if it itches to touch things it shouldn't, if it insatiably clicks on certain websites, here's another scenario, I'm gonna keep this PG for the mixed room. If your hand likes to touch your own body in a self-gratifying act of lust, cut it off and throw it away. Why? Well, because again, it's better to lose a part of your body if it spares your whole body from being lost in the ash and rot of hell. Something should be said here. I hope this makes sense in a moment. Just follow a brief segue, okay? I think many Christians today misunderstand the doctrines of election and eternal security and assurance of grace because many Christians say, well, because God has chosen me for salvation, because he has guaranteed my eternal life, because he has sealed me with his Holy Spirit, and because his word assures me that nothing and no one will ever separate me from his electing love, it's not that intensely important to fight lust with such extremity. I'm elect. Once saved, always saved, right? Mm. Check the heart on this. Here at Oaks, we affirm the wonderful biblical doctrines of election and eternal security and assurance of grace, but we also affirm what God's word affirms when it comes to the part we play in the process. For example, in the first half of Philippians 2.12, the Apostle Paul tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, Philippians and Wisterians, get intense about fighting sin, yeah? Get intense about putting off the flesh. Get intense about dying to the carnal desires of this world by taking up your cross. Get busy striving for the purity and holiness of Christ. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. That's what Paul tells us in the first half of Philippians 2.12. Now listen to the second half of the very same verse. As you get intense about these things, dear Christian, as you get busy working out your salvation, know this. 
It is God who is working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, if you've come to repentant faith in Jesus Christ, God has elected to save you. God has guaranteed your eternal life. God has sealed you with his precious Holy Spirit, but this is how, the, this is how you'll know it. You'll have an ever-increasing diligence to kill your lust, to kill your carnal desires, to take up your cross and to strive for the purity of Christ. You will grow in your desire to do that if you're his, and you will do it if you're his, you'll grow in these things. And Jesus's intense preventative measures in verses 29 and 30 to gouge out our sinful eyes, to cut off our sinful hands is an invitation to us to make our calling and election sure, as the apostle Peter says it. His invitation to us as his chosen people, put to death the lust that has been lingering in your life for so many years, put to death the lust that he was put to death to rescue you from. So how do we do that? That's for another time. We'll be done this morning. <laughs> it is said of the third century theologian, Origen of Alexandria, that in order to purge himself of lust and self-gratification, he removed his clothes and repeatedly rolled over a bed of razor sharp briars. Is that what we were called to do? Because that actually didn't rid Origen of his lustfulness. And realizing this, it is said that he decided to go a step further, irrevocably further. He had himself castrated. Is that what we're supposed to do? Well, no, because even that didn't do the trick for Origen. Origen was still lustful. It was only after he had irrevocably castrated himself that he finally discerned the point of Jesus' words in our passage. The real problem wasn't Origen's physical body. The real problem was his spiritual heart. Origin makes me think of the growing number of people in our world today who have fallen prey to similar misunderstandings. They think their bodies will finally make sense and their inner turmoil will finally be silenced once they undergo gender reassignment surgery, but such will never be the case because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It always is. That was Jesus' point in last week's passage. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And that will be Jesus' point in coming passages. And that is Jesus' point in today's passage. So how must we put to death the lust that he was put to death to free us from? Many of us, if not all of us, need to start running today. And I'm not talking about dusting off the treadmill and going for a mile or two. I'm talking about running like Joseph ran in Genesis chapter 39. His boss's wife wanted to have an affair with him. 
Every day she whispered seductively into his ear and every day Joseph calmly answered, no way. Why on earth would I scar my boss and scorn my God? It wasn't that Joseph thought her undesirable. She probably was quite beautiful. But Joseph's greater desire was to please the indescribably beautiful creator, the glorious, gracious, faithful I am who who withholds no good thing from his people. So in the story, one last time, the woman grabbed Joseph's robe and whispered into his ear. And then all of a sudden, he became a long-distance runner. He took off. He, hadn't, he had nowhere specific to go, but anywhere was better than right there. He ran. I think many of us, if not all of us, in some way, shape, or form, many of us need to start running today Many of us have got to get back to working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Many of us have got to get back to making our calling and election sure. Now that may not mean cutting off our hands, but it may mean taking the 21st century extreme measure of smashing your smartphone to pieces. Who has the audacity to do that? Allow me to paraphrase Jesus' words in our passage. It is better for to forsake internet connectivity and enter heaven without a phone than it is to forsake purity and enter hell with one. Brief commercial, I'm looking at a model called the Light Phone, L-I-G-H-T, phone. Gets calls and texts. It's a smartphone with an alarm, calculator, directions, a music player, a podcast, podcast tool, and it supports hotspot tethering, but guess what it doesn't do? Social media, internet, nothing. Perfect. Sign me up. I think many of us need to start running today. And maybe this preventative measure, I mean, it doesn't sound so extreme, and yet in our current <laughs> moment, Think of of hearing that somebody smashed their phone to pieces because it was causing them to sin, to be idle, to be lustful, to compare themselves to everyone on the planet. We're talking extreme measures in 21st century America. A member of this church whom I greatly respect, his wife was gonna be out of town for a little while. He came and he dropped off his phone to my house and I just kept his phone for a few days. I greatly admire that. We need to start running today, many of us, and that might include relay racing. When lust starts to whisper into your ear, who is your running partner? I've had the privilege of taking a Joseph walk. Joseph ran, but I just walk. (laughs) I've had the privilege of doing so with several men in my life who had the courage to call me. Chris, I'm being tempted right now got it brother I hear you drop what you're doing put down your phone step away from your computer get out of your gym do whatever it takes I'll meet you at the bike path in 10 minutes okay we'll go for a Joseph walk now in the event that they couldn't meet me for a Joseph walk I had the privilege of praying for them and with them over the phone and then before we hung up I made them promise you'll call me back as soon as this temptation re-emerges correct yes I will now I didn't come up with that method 
Several godly men did this very thing for me 15 years ago concerning pornography. And praise God, I don't have a pornography issue. I have lust issues. I have all sorts of issues. I still battle all things and likely will meet un- will until I, ge- I meet Jesus. But what am I doing about it as God's person? <laughs> what are you doing about it? We may not be gouging out our eyes or cutting off our hands, but we all have deceitful, sinful, lustful hearts, do we not? So, in order that we may make our calling and election sure, in order that we may work out our salvation with fear and trembling, what are we gonna do about this? Because hell's at stake. Firstly, man, can you and I just believe the gospel afresh? Can you and I just believe that if Christ took your sin to the cross, you are saved, but are you free? Are you walking in the good, godly life he gives, or are you walking in the life of secret, selfish sin? I'm asking myself the same thing. I'm I'm not somehow above these questions. It's just, it's, it helps to hear you, right? Are you doing those things? Second, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make your calling and election sure, as Paul and Peter say. Confess your sin to someone else, as James says, because through an ongoing prayerful partnership of confession with a person, what does he say next in James 5? You will taste victory and healing. You will. You will. Third step. When, not if, when temptation arises. So far I've already kind of hit on this, but will we run like Joseph ran? getting rid of my phone, my computer, TV, social media, gym memberships, none of those things is too extreme. It's better to forsake some of those things. I mean, I'm not even preaching today on idleness, the endless scrolling. I'm not even talking about the endless comparisons, man, of just this pastor's doing this and this church and this church and this church. Oh man, I really stink. I'm not doing any of those things. And you might agree with that, but don't amen that out loud. (laughs) It's better to forsake this crap. It's better to forsake internet connectivity and enter heaven without a phone than it is to forsake the purity of Christ and enter hell with one. Do we or do we not believe? Oh, this gospel wondrous thing that greater depths of the good godly life await us because Jesus' blood has been spilled to not only save us, to usher us into freedom and flourishing and joy and the boldness to make covenants with our eyes like Job did. Oh Lord, give me eyes only for my precious beautiful wife and that is gonna be a good thing. Give that to me, Lord. Give it to me, please. I'm gonna pray it 50 times today. Turn my eye away from everything out there that is luring me and tempting me into sinfulness. I've had it. 
I've been saved by Christ, but I haven't been walking in his freedom. And by the way, I'm gonna grab you, brother, and you, brother, and you, brother, and we're all gonna do this together because I'm a betting, I'm not a betting person. If I were, it would be this. I think that we all have a wonderful amount of tasting the good godly life ahead of us. We do, we do. And we can and we will by the grace of God. Amen? Let's pray now that I'm sweaty. Let's pray and we'll sing together. Oh, Father. The good news we behold that Jesus, you came and you died and you rose and you did so while we were yet sinners. You did all those things to save us and to free us to free us, to grant us the good, godly life. Oh, Lord, I pray that me and my brothers and my sisters would have the absolute audacity to accept your gift of the free, good, godly, flourishing life. And I pray that today we would get busy killing carnal desire and picking up our wonderfully given gracious crosses that mimic and model our saviors and by his death we would die to sin and by his life we would be raised into the life that you've designed for us and that we would enjoy that until the even gooder and greater godly life is coming for us with Christ and I can't wait for that. Lord, would you do this work in us today? Help us to be doers and not just hearers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.